0: How do we create a more competitive environment and enable new entrants to look at the market and put together products and services leveraging the city's backbone that can create this new competitive, compelling environment in Centennial?
1: This is Episode 222 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In 2013, Centennial Colorado voters chose overwhelmingly to opt out of the state's law that restricts local telecommunications authority. Since then, they've steadily advanced toward a plan to use their publicly owned fiber to bring better connectivity to the community. Last month, Internet service provider Ting announced that it would be partnering with Centennial to bring gigabit Internet service access via the city's publicly owned fiber optic network. Tim Scott, the City's Director of Fiber Infrastructure, joins Chris today to talk about Centennial's voyage from a new Denver suburb to a city that has the fiber to draw in a growing provider like Ting. He explains what the city has created and how, what providers are looking for, and offers more information about the new partnership. Now here are Chris and Tim Scott, Director of Fiber Infrastructure from the City of Centennial, Colorado.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Tim Scott, the Director of Fiber Infrastructure for the City of Centennial, Colorado. Welcome to the show.
0: Good morning, Chris. Thanks for inviting me.
2: And I got it right. Tim Scott. <laughs> yeah,
0: you did. You got it
2: right. Good job. <laughs> the, um, the Community of Centennial, I've actually uh, I've been down in that area. You're in the Denver metro area. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: So as you say, it's really considered, uh, you know, a a suburb nearly of of Denver. Um, We're right down on the southeast corner of the Denver metro area. Um, What's kind of interesting about the city of Centennial, a lot of people don't know this. It's uh, it's a very new city. We're only uh, 15 years old. So we were incorporated in February 7th, I believe, 2001. Um, So a very new city um, that was pieced together uh, in a lot of what was sort of unincorporated Arapahoe County land. And, uh, you know, we're 14 miles wide across. We often refer to the city as sort of shaped a bit like a dumbbell. So we've got this larger eastern residential area, which would be one of the dumbbells. And then it sort of narrows along the middle where we tend to have more of our sort of central business district or CBD area and then it widens out again into more of a sort of dumbbell shape on our our western side of the city. So 14 miles across and a population I believe of 107,000.
2: Well I think that shape actually plays into a lot of our discussion in terms of what Centennial's done with fiber optics and uh, we'll talk um, in a minute about uh, the partnership uh, that you're going to be engaging in where Ting's going to be leasing some lines from you. Um, but first let's talk about what Centennial has. What what has Centennial built over the years?
0: The city really has been on um a path of really trying to figure out how fiber can, you know, continue to develop the city and, and keep it keep it ahead really of a you know, a very competitive growing Denver metro area and um, and sort of looking at ways to, you know, use fiber as a leading edge tool that continues to keep the city at the forefront so whether it's from an economic development perspective you know for creativity um, for our own you know city services um, and this has really been a path that the city's been on probably for I would say four years so it's probably a good a good indicator hopefully to some listeners of really how long it can take to to figure all these pieces out and I know Chris that you'd met many of the their council members that attended some of the broadband shows over the years, as they really tried to to put these different pieces together. During those years, they 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 took some really Im- important steps. I think to uh, sort of get the city prepared ultimately for a broader, you know, fiber initiative, or with partnerships potentially a fiber to the premise initiative. And across those years, um, they continue to invest in some city-owned fiber. We we have about fifty miles today of of fiber along sort of most of the major roads uh, through the city, Um, and and they primarily are used. uh, It's it's city-owned fiber, and what we call ITS for intelligent traffic signaling, Um, and it really doesn't do any more than that. but that in itself has really served a purpose because uh, the city through a public works department, you know, built, deployed, you know, managed contractors to, you know, obviously deploy that fiber. So some of that knowledge is internal within the city now, which is great. Um, but probably most importantly, really what it required was the building an ownership of existing city conduit that that fiber would reside in, and I think what we learned as a, as a city is what we learned as a city is that you know ownership of that physical asset is so important, and in this case, ownership of as much as our own city conduit was really important because ultimately that's what's going to be leveraged in our you know what became our next phase of of our fiber build
2: out. Well, I think the shape of the city is actually really works to your advantage, because if I understand it correctly, you were able with your intelligent traffic signaling to put in conduit and fiber along a few major corridors, and yet be very close to the vast majority of premises in the community.
0: Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, today, or if if we look at sort of 2013, which is really our our starting assets for our sort of fiber master plan, which we'll talk about, which is really our 2016 initiative, if we look at our assets in 2013, where we had fiber and conduit, it really isn't that different from where we're going to invest and build new fiber in 2016 going forward. It's just a different, let's call it a different type of fiber with a different purpose, and that's going to be for serving you know our community anchor institutions and for serving ultimately businesses and residents. But But you're right, even in 2013, the city already had a strong footprint of existing city owned conduit and some existing fiber serving or traffic signaling, and would run you know east to west across this across the city uh, down those main uh, main roads, main lines, and as you said, really passes you know some significant um, residential populations, and again, with our you know coming down the core of that central business district in the middle of that dumbbell, passing a lot of businesses in our city as well. Um, you know that ultimately can be served uh, with fiber.
2: So, Tim, I'm I'm curious. I think a lot of people just sort of think, well, if you had fiber to a lot of these places in 2013, um, why do you have to do something different now uh, to achieve uh, different ends rather than the the original ITS intelligent traffic signaling um, ends?
0: It, you know, and it, and it's a it's a great question, Chris. So, and it's something I think that you know the city probably took you know a good. 12, maybe even 24 months to really fully understand and, and and get their sort of head around completely that this strategy for fiber from a broader perspective needed to be a little different. So, you know, around 2013, the city had deployed fiber in typically a sort of, let's call it a point to point fashion, where the pure purpose of that fiber was to go from really one street crossing to another street cross crossing to serve uh, traffic lights. And and that was a good purpose in why it was built at that time. But obviously, when it was built at that time from a fiber density perspective, it was also low count fiber, like everything from 12 fibers up to 40 type fibers, but what we would call low, low density fiber. And also, perhaps most importantly, I, I always feel a lot of communities tend to forget this is it's really the accessibility to the fiber that becomes important too. So it's not just where the fiber goes, but it's where the handholes are and the future splice points are that ultimately that stretch of fiber could be utilized be used uh, from a from an expansion perspective so where do you break into that fiber to create a lateral that could connect to an anchor institution a business or a resident so it was a great starting point because it was uh, again conduit that the city went through the process of uh, either building and owning itself or getting it you know co-built with a with a carrier that may have been building uh, some conduit in the city too um, and then being able to use that existing conduit to serve a purpose in 2013, but again revisit that conduit now in 2016 and say, okay, the best way for us would be to build a new what we would call carrier-grade backbone infrastructure, but again using that existing conduit, a lot of it, that was built in 20. 20- 13 and prior to 2013 to, to run this high count. And in the case of the city of Centennial's backbone, you're going from low strand fiber to a 432 fiber backbone. And that is a lot of fiber. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people sort of fall off their chairs when they say, well, the city's you know, building a 432 fiber backbone. So absolutely the, the city's backbone that will be deployed all around the city in, in many of the same locations where we had, ITS fiber and city-owned conduit, except now it'll be probably 65 plus miles of new fiber backbone, 432 fiber count, uh, the latest and greatest, and from a you know spec perspective in terms of fiber that's on the market today. Um, And again, with all the records that we think are really important to accompany that. So you've got to be able to prove, you know, conduit ownership. You've got to be able to create the right splice points and and the right uh, accessibility to the backbone fiber. And ultimately, then back that up with the right level of documentation that shows the correct as built, exactly where it is, exactly how it's accessible. So it's really building it with a purpose to serve as a facilitator for the private sector. And I think that's very different than building fiber that has a single purpose, which in our case was ITS, and then building fiber as a backbone that really can be leveraged ultimately someday by the private sector who, who could come and use it, but has a higher level of expectation in terms of you know documentation, accessibility, support, how it was built, all that complex stuff that ultimately becomes important. And so we're going through all that complex stuff to build it exactly in the right way so it could be considered carrier grade.
2: There's a a couple of questions that that sort of spring to mind. And one is uh, when you say you were reusing the conduit, did you have enough space to just put additional fiber in there or do you have to pull out those original 40-some strands? Yeah,
0: good good question. Uh, we have a lot of conduit conversations um, because actually what's quite interesting about this project is that we're 100% underground. So it's all city-owned conduit or ultimately what will be city-owned conduit. And in a lot of places, that's um, two-inch conduit. And where, uh, where we have two-inch conduit um, and we have city fiber already there, um, we we may build uh, as we go through this build process another parallel conduit that will sit right beside it that will serve the the 432. Um, so we're really going through that process right now with our uh, sort of what we're calling our design engineering firm, our owner's project manager that really looks exactly at okay where where we have conduit, where do we have clean clear. Two inch conduit that we can use for the back for the new 4432 backbone great where do we have uh, existing city conduit where it's clean and it's a quarter inch conduit and where do we have existing city conduit where it's maybe two inch but there's maybe some fiber already in there um but the plan right now and of course this is all you know subject to ultimately final budgets and stuff but the plan right now is we really don't want to uh, have to you know cut and pull out any fiber and then replace it with new backbone uh, our preference would be to, uh, you know, ensure that the city has um, lots of available city conduit, both for this project, but even for the future too. I mean, if we can put in three two-inch conduits in some some locations, we'll we'll, we'll look to do that because we believe that's still an asset in ten, twenty years time. That could be very valuable.
2: Now let's get on to the what many people might consider the the big news, which is that we've just learned that. Uh, Ting, uh, a company that's already working in um, Charlottesville, Virginia, Westminster, Maryland, we've talked about many times. Uh, they've also announced um, Holly Springs, North Carolina, and Sandpoint in their fifth community they're going to be working with is Centennial, which I think is pretty yeah. tremendous given that everyone seems to love their services. I'm, I've long been a wireless customer of theirs and been very happy. Um, so um, how what's your relationship with uh, Ting in terms of how they're interacting with you?
0: Two weeks ago, um, Ting broke the news that they were coming to um, Centennial, uh, Colorado, which um, I think, as you mentioned, is their, is their fifth um, planned uh, community um, project. Uh, we're very excited about Ting. Ting is a, a company that, that certainly I've followed over the last couple of years as they've worked really diligently to get their first couple of projects on the, on the eastern sort of seaboard uh, off the ground. Um, I've had the pleasure of, of visiting those communities and, and really understanding both what Ting does locally, but also probably even more importantly is their engagement with the local community. Um, and Ting uh, followed a, a, an RFI process that the city had, um, expressed their interest in, in, in leveraging this new um, to-be-built uh, carrier-grade 432 backbone to to really come and enter what I think is 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 a wonderful market for them. Um, you know it's an extremely fast growing area of the country. It's an extremely fast growing area uh, of the metro of the Denver metro market. Um, and you know we have actually in Centennial we have the the highest internet adoption rate in the country of ninety six percent. so we believe we've got a you know very educated, very connected community. Um, and we think it's a great opportunity for a fiber player to come to town, leverage the city's uh, backbone that you know gives that pervasive coverage across the city, and ultimately invest their dollars to bring the backbone to the premise, whether it's businesses, whether it's uh, residential. So um, one of the things you mentioned, I think, that's been a real standout has been uh, what we've learned about their customer service. And you've experienced that, obviously, on the wireless side, but it appears to be uh, very similar uh, on the on the wired side and on the fiber side, um, so we're excited about that. Um, obviously, we're excited about their products and um, and their future services, which hopefully they'll they'll be bringing out as well to to, to markets like Centennial. Um, so I, I look at it as a as a real game changer for the city. Um, I, I really think that, that this presence of, of Ting will will really transform the the city of Centennial, and I'm excited to see their. White and blue trucks and vans drive around Centennial just like I saw them in Charlottesville, Virginia. So,
2: I'm curious: Are they actually going to be uh, leasing your fiber then, or your conduit, or will it will it vary depending on location? Is that all worked out yet?
0: No, it's not worked out yet. Um, so so basically, the announcement is, uh, I think, confirmation that they're in the what I would call research stage. So they've already. Done their preliminary research. They're very happy about the demographics and obviously what they consider as a great market opportunity in Centennial. Um, now they, you know, drop down a layer and they start to figure out: okay, where exactly should we target first? Which residential areas of the city make sense? What about the businesses? You know, how do we do that? Obviously, they have a large step up to to, to create in terms of creating a local team in the Colorado market. Um, something they'll, they'll they'll be starting very soon so there's a lot of actions that they have to take and then really the relationship with the city at this point is um ultimately they will execute um some sort of uh, agreement or lease of fiber uh, on the city's backbone and i think that will obviously be you know dictated a little bit about some of the decisions they have to make about where they will go first which areas of the city which residential areas of the city but the business relationship if you want to call it that is basically their taking a, an IRU um, for fiber lease from the city of Centennial, um, which would absolutely be obviously available to the next partner that might want to take an IRU on the city's backbone too.
2: So that's actually something I wanted to ask you about. With uh, with 432 fiber strands, it seems like you have plenty of capacity then uh, for any other ISPs that might want to also invest in Centennial.
0: Yeah, we do. I mean, the, the we are building deliberately a backbone that has a lot of capacity. You know, both for opportunities for private carriers to to lease uh, dark fiber capacity on the backbone, but also you know for our community anchor institution use, a public safety use for many agencies across the city. So the opportunity is there for uh, other carriers to to lease uh, fiber on our backbone and make that bet of investing to create fiber-to-the-premise opportunities. I think a lot of people think about it, and I think a lot of people see those opportunities, but actually taking the steps that Ting have done to create the brand around it, create the local teams around it, have the products, services, and customer support to back it up, those are different those are different steps. So we're, we're very pleased with the partnership. Um, We're very pleased with, with where we are with Ting and, and um, you know, we look forward to the decisions that they make uh, over the next few months, which will really set up what they do in 2017 and beyond.
2: Now, this is something that is, this is a key moment in the podcast that I usually come up against. And that is, um, we could end it right now and have a a nice short podcast. But there's another question that's burning in my head. And you're a unique person that can help answer it. I think you have a, a pretty long background in dealing with various open solutions, uh, both dark, um, and lit kind of uh, open access um, approaches. Uh, your background, um, you've worked previously with Axia, which um, is an open access provider uh, working in the state of Massachusetts. Um, and, and I'm really curious if you can just, you know, some of our other cities who aren't Centennial, who are trying to figure out um, how to think about their different options in terms of a dark versus a lit strategy for encouraging uh, open competition in the community. Uh, what, what thoughts can you give them?
0: Yeah, and and it's a great question, and I think you know one, Chris, that we've we've seen tossed about for 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 years at various you know broadband and community and fiber forums, and I think the the way that I would answer this is first of all just talking about what the city of Centennial did. So the city of Centennial really tried to figure this out for a number of years, <laughs> went through the process. You know, you've got to sit in a room and have everybody say, okay, we can either at one end of the scale do nothing or at the other end of the scale we can do everything meaning that we can build a network fiber electronics you know offer services be, com move into the whole competitive environment and at one end of the scale it's obviously zero dollars do nothing and the other end of the scale it could be 150 million dollars plus and and become this new entity and i really believe that in all situations depending on the community there's a model for each so in, in the case of Centennial, it was not really to, to, to pick a sort of, you know, a middle ground or anything, but the, the right answer because of our drivers, which was we didn't have a significant fiber in our community from a city perspective that we could really leverage. Um, we had a competitive environment in the sense that we have Comcast and CenturyLink, but no fiber products being developed um, or, or being Brought into the community from a fiber to the premise perspective, we had small small numbers of fiber where the largest enterprises could get served with basically expensive fiber. So we really felt, from an economic development perspective, the focus was on how do we create a backbone that create can create a more competitive environment and enable new entrants to look at the market and put together products and services leveraging the city's backbone that can create this new competitive, compelling environment in Centennial. And again, that just takes a lot of time to go through the process to, uh, as a team to figure that out, to get through the right political support behind it, to to educate everybody that's on uh, council, not just the, the wonderful three members that we had on our on our fiber subcommittee, uh, who, were, who were all three sitting council members as well. Um, it just takes time to go through that. So so in our case, the answer to what Centennial should provide became very evident through a lot of different workshops. It became very evident of what we felt we needed to do to, to change those dynamics. Um, you know, I see other communities that maybe are more rural and they really truly believe that they have to... You know move into what i would call the business maybe they only have one carrier serving their community and maybe they're not very focused on it and doing a great job and obviously they need to go further on that scale you know towards that number that i talked about that 150 million dollar number where they need to not just build fiber but they might need to light up the electronics and even provide uh you know compelling uh, at least internet services
2: what I'm curious in particular is for a community that is really set on providing services indirectly, really focusing on wholesale services, um, right. you know, or wanting to encourage that. I'm, I'm curious about the merits of a dark versus a lit strategy, um, you know, focus mm-hmm. where the city's already basically saying we're really not going to provide services ourselves.
0: Right. So, yeah. And, and I feel like in, in our case, we choose that dark fiber strategy because we see a line in the sand between being a provider of dark fiber and the complexity that's associated with with making that business work and making those prices and products compelling for the marketplace. And then uh, on the other side of that line, the complexity of moving into wholesale lit services is just a different ballgame. And you've got to have a different type of team and you've got to have different capital and you've got to have different levels of expertise and different levels of support in that option, which would be wholesale lit services. So again, for us, it just became apparent through our process that creating a dark fiber backbone that was citywide, that has been built to a carrier grid standard that you can prove to any private parties that you sit down, whether it's the biggest guy in the country, or the smallest guy, you can say. Here's how it was built. Here's the as-built. Here's the quality. Here's the data centers and carrier hotels that the backbone connects to. Um, that becomes a very compelling proposition. And there's other things that are important too, Chris. You know, to ensure that that dark fiber proposition works. You know, the city has got to be organized. The city's got to have its permitting fixed, This has got to have their right-of-ways fixed, you know, all, all that stuff, the, the sort of what Google looked towards cities to provide, a lot of that work has gone on in the background as well over the last couple of years as the city also got organized to ensure that we could really be very responsive uh, as it related to our codes and permitting and all those other requirements.
2: Great. Well, the one last follow-up question, uh, which is, you've mentioned this a couple of times, and I think you're probably someone who can define it well. Um, when you talk about carrier grade i assume that's in contrast to enterprise grade which is not a star trek reference and if you could just (laughs) you know aside from all the paperwork which i i find very interesting um to prove that it's not going to cause any headaches for someone who's using it in the future um you know what are some of the other things that a, a potential isp would be looking for in terms of something that's carrier grade
0: yeah, and I think it gets thrown around, but I think, yeah, you've got, got to be able to demonstrate to a private carrier that this backbone fiber that ultimately they're going to use and really treat as their asset under an IRU, you have to be able to demonstrate that it's been built correctly with the right as-builds, that it's been tested correctly with the right fiber test results such as you know otdr testing which they would i assume expect to see and many of them will Um, and that it's you know ultimately the right type of fiber in terms of its specifications and and some of those those three elements i would certainly say all factor into something been termed carrier grade and and then the other piece that we touched on earlier that i don't want to forget about is is accessibility there's no point in having the latest and greatest fiber backbone from point A to point B if you can't get at it in between, because it's the getting at it in between that creates the value of the laterals that connect to the residential communities or connects to the businesses or connects to the bank or institutions. So it's combining, I feel, all, all those factors, right? And, and into that definition of what's carrier grade. And unfortunately, I've sat down over the years with many communities that might have a fiber asset but really struggle to explain and demonstrate to to a private party that it's, quote, carrier grade because they don't have the documentation or they don't have the test results or they can't prove that it connects to the right points in A and B or its A and Z locations or that it's accessible in between and they've got the documentation to demonstrate where it's accessible in between. Um, so all those factors, I feel, you know, melt into that sort of broad definition of carrier grade.
2: Thank you for coming on the show to tell us so much more about what's happening in Centennial. But I think also um, almost uniquely in the history of this show, at least, to really give us some of the nuts and bolts between uh, the differences between uh, building a network out for intelligent traffic signaling and how to attract a brand new carrier. Uh, It's been great.
0: Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot for having having me on the show. And I look forward to seeing you out in Colorado sometime
1: soon. Thank you for listening to episode two twenty two of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Again, that was Tim Scott, Director of Fiber Infrastructure from Centennial, Colorado. Read more about Centennial at Muni Networks.org. Remember, we have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at Muni slash Broadband Bits. Email us at podcast at Muni with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter, where the handle is at MuniNetworks.org. Thanks to the group Mojo Monkeys for their song Bodacious, licensed to Creative Commons, and thanks for listening.